This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And you are probably listening to us on a fine Monday morning. The winter meetings have begun in earnest. I actually am just back in L.A. as of recording this from the Mandalay Bay, where the winter meetings are taking place. I was only there to watch the Blackhawks lose to the Vegas Golden Knights and gamble away some of my money, but it was at the same hotel that the meetings were being set up. I saw my fair share of baseball executives and certainly the bright-eyed youth with their pages and pages of resumes <laughs> hoping to uh, get themselves a job. Does that bring back bad memories, Corey? I, I, I will tell you, Brendan, I, I, look at, I look at them and I think I really don't miss doing that. I have gone to uh, a lot of interviews at the winter meetings um, and uh, only, only got a few jobs and internships. So yeah, there was definitely more interviews than there were successes. But I, I, I wish everyone the best if you are in Vegas uh, hoping to land a position in major or minor league baseball. And as you're listening to us on this this Monday morning, I, I imagine, Brendan, that a lot of our audience, uh, at least those of you in Chicago, are also Bears fans. So, Brendan, he, here, here's what I'm going to say. Let's do our best after the Bears beat the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday Night Football. Let's do our best not to kill that buzz that everybody has on this Monday morning. I, I, w- I will say, though, kind of like how the Cubs, the, the Bears season feels like it's 2015, right? And, and, and fast forward four years, you got a World Series, but you got to enjoy it while you can, right? Before you know it, you know, you'll be on the tail end of of this Bears era. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, the, some of these these off-season podcasts, especially when we get going on the, the budget and the payroll uh, as it concerns the 2019 Chicago Cubs, you know, maybe skew a little closer to negative, I, I suppose. So, you know, I think everybody in <laughs> Chicago is feeling good. Uh, so we're going to do our best to try to not uh, not kill that vibe that everybody has going. But 
We do. Let Let's start with some news, Brendan. I think we'll we'll get sure. to the, the you know kind of a winter meetings primer, if you will, kind of the lay of the land as far as these rumors go. As these winter meetings start, uh, they started on Sunday morning, I guess, and they go until Thursday. Obviously, there's no you know Theo doesn't have a set time where he's doing or not doing business, but you know those are the general parameters of of when things happen. And in my experience. Typically, the the main executives of teams are gone by that last day, so I, I wouldn't necessarily expect um, something coming straight from Vegas on on Thursday night or anything like that. But we'll we'll kind of touch on all the rumors that we've heard and and where everything is as these meetings start. Uh, but first, we have some Cubs coaching staff news. The Cubs have finally, after what seems like. Uh, pretty significant amount of time uh, finalized their coaching staff for the 2019 season. And we have a bit of NL Central news, and it is bad news, folks. So I know I just said we weren't going to kill that vibe, but we do, we do have to talk about uh, what the Cardinals are doing as it does. Uh, the, the name of the podcast is Cubs Related, so uh, that that is definitely Cubs Related. But let, let's start with, I think, the main news, Brendan. There's some, some interesting names added to the Cubs coaching staff. Um, I know Termel Sledge joining the group in, a, in an associate role, a uh, former Major League player, some of you may remember. But the, the big news is that after Jim Hickey's departure, the Cubs promoting uh, Tommy Hadavi. Did I get that right? Hadavi is correct. Hadavi yes, okay. is correct. Uh, that yes. was one where— Well done, by the way. Corey, yeah, I, I, I was willing to you know take that, that jump first, Brendan. Normally, I defer that to you, but I thought I could— re- No, no, no. You see, during the solo pod, I said Hadavi like 10 times. I already have my experience well, with I that Well, I think any, anybody that listens to— our podcast and you know that if there's anything I'm not doing, it's listening to just you talk for an hour. Uh, but I appreciate uh, people would disagree. It was a pretty good podcast, if I say so of myself. But I'll keep. I'll let you have the floor here. Keep going. Yeah. So Tommy Hadavi promoted uh, from I, I I believe his role was uh, pitching coordinator and run prevention strategist. And yeah. he's been with the. He was like a Mike Borzello behind the scenes, right. so to speak. And. He has been with the team for a few years. Uh, you know, I think I shared on the Cubs-related Instagram a picture of him with the World Series trophy, uh, obviously from 2016 when, Brendan, I don't know if you remember this, the Cubs won the World Series. Correct. Yes, they did. They won and the so World Tommy Series. And so Tommy was yeah. a part of that, and he, you know, now promoted to this role. So I will I will throw it to you, and, and I don't know if you had any thoughts on some of the other names uh, added to the list. Obviously, we've we've talked about some of the, the prior moves, but just your general reaction uh, to Tommy Hadovy being named officially the, the Cubs pitching coach. Yeah, I love it. I, I think this is kind of a I want to say a cavalier or like a revolutionary type move, but in recent memory for me, I can't remember ever seeing a pitching coach this young, Corey. Like I I would have to look this up, but even at least as it comes to the Cubs, they've always been older dudes. So this is kind of a change for the team. I even even think for Major League Baseball as well. So he'll join Anthony Iaposi, who is also 45 years old. So you have a 45-year-old, you have a guy who's barely, what, 38, I think is his exact age, Hadavi. So it's it's different. Um, I kind of like the analytic side to Hadavi. At the same time, I, I like how he's a recent player as well. So I I don't really know much outside of those two traits. What we hear about him has always been positive, and 
I'm kind of curious to see how he interacts with the veterans and some of the younger guys as well and communicating this this data, but more importantly, adjusting and making mechanical adjustments. We haven't really seen or heard much about that, but one thing that does stand out in my mind was how he interacted with Mike Montgomery, and he helped him with his curveball back in spring training uh, in, in 2018. So he does have this analytic, mechanical-type marriage, so to speak, so I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think that we obviously learned from this past offseason with Jim Hickey and Chili Davis that, you know, I'm not really going to go out on a limb and stake my reputation on whether I think this is a good move or a bad move, because I think we were bullish on both of those moves and uh, neither really worked out to varying degrees, uh, if you will. But I think that there are certain things you can look at with this, again, absent of knowing, you know, exactly what changes he may implement, what philosophical differences we may see, etc. That remains to be seen. But I think the most important thing for me, and this is something that Theo talked about and we've mentioned on here before, and that's continuity. And obviously, a lot of changes to the Cubs coaching staff just since last year and certainly since, you know, kind of this era of Cubs baseball has begun. But Theo spoke about, you know, before they moved on from Davis and Hickey that, you know, they they weren't necessarily hoping to as, you know, then you're kind of creating this circus of coaches that just continually uh, changes out. And at least with Hadavi, this is someone who has been with this organization. He is familiar with these pitchers. The pitchers are familiar with him. He obviously... Many of them were his teammates, too. Yes. You know? he, he has a rapport with this coaching staff. You know, he works closely with Mike Borzello. And we saw that there's a really good video series. I don't know if everybody's seen it, but the Cubs posted it on, on their social media from the Cubs productions team that puts out those kind of longer, uh, more expose style videos. And it was a, it, I don't remember the exact title, uh, but they recently posted, I can dig through here, you know, during one of uh, Brendan's turns at the mic here and, and find <laughs> it exactly. But it Thanks. was detailing the in-between starts process for the Cubs starting rotation. It had interviews with the pitchers themselves and some of the coaches, and Hadavi was was kind of a big part of this series. And you, you just see that this is a guy who's been pretty integral in what the Cubs have been doing. And you, and you think about, you know, one of his titles, which was run prevention coordinator or strategist, it's semantics, but one of those two things. And you know, you think back to like 2016, for example, and how different the Cubs' approach was depending on who was on the mound. You know, I think back to like Javi Baez and how he was positioned differently when John Lester was on the mound or when Kyle Hendricks was on the mound or when Jake Arrieta was on the mound. And this is all the stuff mm-hmm. that, that Hadavi would be playing a, a vital role in because... And the, and the sequencing too, yes. to play to those shifts, which exactly. is important as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we th- you know 2016 in particular, you think about how well that staff was pitching to soft contact and then that defense putting up historical numbers in terms of converting those to outs. This is all something that Tommy would have been involved in or or certainly playing a role in, if not leading the charge on a lot of it. So again, he's he's in those video series and you can just kind of see like this this guy has been a, a, a part of this organization. And again, 
we, we can't know how it's going to work out. But one thing that is good is that you are not going to have another offseason. And this is the same with Anthony Iapose, who is the new hitting coach. There, there's a lot of familiarity with these guys, obviously to different degrees. But you, you have two guys now who a lot of these players have worked very closely with. They know them as coaches, as people. And you, you don't have to have another season where you're, you're spending a lot of that time, maybe in the off season or spring training, cultivating those relationships, building that rapport. You can kind of just hit the ground running. You, you already know each other. You already know how to work well with each other, kind of strengths, weaknesses. And as far as his pitching staff goes, there's you know probably maybe a couple people, if that, that know this pitching staff better than someone like Tommy Hadovy. So I, I think in mm-hmm. that regard, what we'll see, uh, you know, what exactly the the philosophy is or mechanical adjustments, et cetera. But I, I think just from a personnel standpoint, I think this is about as good as the Cubs could have done, you know, again, without being able to see into the future. They brought in guys with good reputations who work well with these players, who know these players. And I think that at the very least, you're kind of mitigating some of those potential hurdles as far as, again, having to kind of create new relationships and bonds and and learn how to succeed with one another. You can kind of just skip that part. And, and I think at the very least, that's a good place to start. I, that's a great point, too, because I, I think one of the struggles last year for Hickey was just so much guys whom he was not familiar with. You know what I'm saying? Like he never worked with Lester before. There was not many players with whom he worked with in Tampa Bay. So I think that that was an issue. And I think with Hadebe, that's an advantage. But ultimately, Corey, this is going to be fun. I think that's what I'm most excited about. This is a 37-year-old pitching coach. Like you don't see those. So at the end of the day, at the very least, I'm looking forward to see what a young coaching staff looks like. When other teams are hiring young managers, the Cubs are hiring young position coaches and pitching coaches, and you don't really see that too much. Yeah, I I, I, I am uh, very curious to see you know how this goes, and and I do think you know yeah you do have to like the Cubs trying something like this because I think one of the That's things saying, yeah. that you really see in baseball too much, and you could really argue that this is kind of how you end up in the Chili Davis situation is guys who have had the job tend to keep getting the job, right? That's right. why you see so many managers who will manage, you know, five different teams in the league to varying degrees of success. And you kind of wonder, like, how does this guy keep getting a job? Or why does like this guy keep Baker. getting, you know, a hitting yeah. coach position or a GM position? We see that too. And so I, I think it's it's a good thing that the Cubs are willing to say, you know what, we, we've had this guy in our front office in our coaching staff for a, a minute here. We like what he's doing. We like, you know, what we see from him and, and the conversations that we had. Why can't we, we give this guy an opportunity? You know, why do we have to go hire, you know, someone who's who's been a pitching coach for 30 years now, right? And, you know, they just tried that yeah. with Jim Hickey and they, they didn't like the results. So I, I like that they're doing this. And if you want to see the, the videos that I was mentioning, I think there's four of them or five of them. I guess it would be four because the fifth day would be when they're starting. Uh, but they're, they're called Between Starts. So I think if you went to 
Twitter or Facebook and searched at Cubs between starts, uh, colon, day one, day two, et cetera. Add in BioFreeze. It was sponsored by BioFreeze. Yeah, you, you'll well, find so you'll them. Get, the the, the first one was posted so. on 11 16 2018, and they, at least on Twitter, the Cubs posted them all in one thread. So you can just scroll down yeah. and see all these videos. And again, I, I, I mentioned that just because you, you do hear from Tommy Hadavi. If you've never heard of him before or never seen him in, in, in any of this Cubs stuff, you could at least. You, you can get to meet him. Uh, let's meet our new pitching coach. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think any of the, the other coaching staff's moves really jumped out to me, uh, but it, it's good that... Uh, oh, we actually, there was one other one that did jump out to me. Uh, Chris Norfia yes, back with the right. Cubs. Quality he assurance. On, correct. He, quality assurance he is in of the, He is in the Creed Bratton role for you office fans <laughs> out there. Quality, he is. quality assurance. Quality Hopefully assurance. he does, a better, does a better job. Than job. <laughs> uh, very rarely do we have those moments on air, Corey. But uh, there, there it was. Uh, but yeah, I, I think looking at the ages of these coaches, they got to have one of the youngest coaching staffs. So you take away Joe Madden, I think what Denorfia, Hadavi, and Iaposi are all under forty-five. So pretty fun to see. Yeah. So all right, let's just get let's just get through this, Brendan. We have to discuss this because unfortunately this is, uh, are we going Paul Goldschmidt here? Are we going Chris Bryant here? What we are, we are going here? Paul Goldschmidt here. Um, the St. Louis Cardinals acquiring Paul Goldschmidt, um, the first baseman for the Arizona Diamondbacks and consistently one of the best players in major league baseball. And here is the, I believe, the full trade. I believe we have Paul Goldschmidt for 25-year-old right-hander Luke Weaver, who you probably remember from the Cubs bashing him around a good bit uh, in the last year or so. Uh, Catcher Carson Kelly, who is 24. Andy Young, a 24-year-old minor league infielder and a competitive balance round B pick. Why the Cardinals have a competitive balance pick in the first place is a separate discussion, Uh, but that's the trade. And really, I I think the, the meat of the issue is we can debate the return that Arizona got uh, until we are blue in the face. But ultimately, the Diamondbacks are of little concern to the Chicago Cubs. And what is a concern to the Chicago Cubs is that uh, arguably the best first baseman in the league was just traded to the Cardinals for what seems like a questionably light return. And, you know, the Cardinals were not right there with the Cubs and Brewers necessarily last year, but you add someone like Goldschmidt, and obviously now they have the rest of this offseason to kind of put things together. The the Cardinals, you know, obviously not content to just sit in third place in this division, Brendan, as the Brewers and Cubs battle it out on the field. Okay, so the this is like the most cardinal thing ever, right? I mean, they, they get one of the most consistent players in the league, which seems like they got him for something that's not of total value. From the Diamondbacks' point of view, it kind of makes sense. They, they, they do get Luke Weaver, who's immediately going to provide value. They get a nice stud prospect at, at the catcher position who could be an immediate value, whether it's this year or the next year. So I kind and Goldschmidt of get is a free for, agent at the end of the year. Correct. So I kind of get it from the D-backs point of view. They're trying to accelerate this rebuild. So I, I, I get it. 
but man, like that's not ugh. Like the the Cardinals didn't dive deep into their. You'd prospect really like pool. to see a top prospect being moved. Yeah, for someone like it's Paul like Goldschmidt. you give up Paul. You yeah. give up someone like Paul Goldschmidt. You want someone who could be the next Paul Goldschmidt in that deal, like like an Eloy Jimenez, right. so to speak. And, so they and you look at since twenty thirteen. I'm going to read off Paul Goldschmidt's. Uh, wins above replacement. And I'll point out that in 2014, the lowest number I'm going to read since 2013, uh, he only had 479 plate appearances, played in 109 games. The rest of the seasons are basically full season. So 2013 at 6.0, 2014, the shortened season, 4.3, and then following 7.2, 5.0, 5.2, 5.1. God. Yeah. Yeah. So looking how at how this affects the Cardinals' depth chart, what probably will happen is Goldschmidt will, of course, go to full base or first base full time. Jose Martinez then will go to right field and probably split time with Dexter Fowler, or they'll have a kind of like a merry-go-around out there in, in the outfield. You have Harrison Bader at center field. You can obviously put Fowler at center field if you want. So that's going to be it. And then Carpenter goes to third base probably full time, and Jed Jerko will play either second base or third base with Colton Wong as well. So that's that's the immediate impact. Most likely the guy who gets at-bats taken away is going to be Dexter Fowler, which is kind of funny if you want to look at it like that. But this is a big deal, guys. This is a big deal for the Cardinals. They're getting one of the most, I think, valuable hitters of our of our decade, honestly. It sucks to say, but it's just that's how it is. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, I, I think... There, there's still some questions there because obviously Matt Carpenter, uh, at least for a portion of the season, was pretty heavily in that MVP race until he petered off a bit while Baez and Yelich kept going. You know, so he's right. a year older. Can you really count on him for another year like that? Yachty obviously getting older and continually, uh, you know, kind of declining in production. And, you know, we'll see... Uh, is Miles Mikolas able to have a repeat year like he did last year? He was one of the best pitchers in the league last year. You know, does the league adjust to him, et cetera? So they yeah. still have some questions but there, the, but again. But the pro- the problem is they're not done Right, yet. that's and what I was about to say, going, yeah, is, yeah. is that there's some questions there, but unfortunately, like everybody else, they have a full off season to kind of address this. So the, the moral of the story here is, do I think that this necessarily – puts them right there with the Cubs and Brewers, you know, obviously not really knowing how the rest of this offseason is going to go. I, I'm not, I don't think so. I, I think, again, it would take, you know, everything well, going. Well, hold on. I, I, think, I think it puts them within the realm of possibility oh, absolutely. where if things go yes, right, yeah, they could 100%, be there. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's where I was going to end up is that I, I don't know if they are, but they're definitely – you know, if things go right, you know, and say you do get another top season from Matt Carpenter, et cetera, they're they're right there. This is a this is a big move. There's there is no way to sugarcoat this. But I I do kind of want to touch on one other element of this that I I, I can't help because I thought it was uh, pretty funny, Brendan. And in his introduction, now look, I know when you join a new team, everybody says nice things about where they are. Um, but I, 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 I do want to point out that Paul Goldschmidt did not sign with the St. Louis Cardinals. So there was a lot of talk in his press conference kind of about how much he loved St. Louis and, you know, how great a baseball city, et cetera, even though he was forced to be it? there. You watched that conference. I couldn't even bear myself to watch yeah, that. But so the, the one line in particular that I, I, I found quite amusing, uh, that, that kind of, you know, that emoji where the, the guy has his hand over his mouth and he's kind of thinking like, hmm, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I got a real that reaction from 
Goldschmidt saying here, quote, I don't know a player in baseball that doesn't want to play here. Now, Brendan, correct me if I'm wrong, Hmm. and I don't think that I am, Hmm. but I do remember uh, it was a guy on the Marlins. uh, He used to be named Mike. Giancarlo Stanton uh, Mm -hmm. rejected a trade to St. Louis. I also seem to remember... Uh, a certain right fielder who now plays for the Cubs being offered more money to play in St. Louis, but turning it down because he was kind of not treated so great by some of those wonderful people uh, from St. Louis. I also, you know, I don't know. I remember when Dexter Fowler was on the Cubs, he had a very active social media account. And I think (laughs) since he's been in St. Louis, he's been forced to delete it because people are so awful to him and his family. But you're right, Paul. Who wouldn't want to play in St. Louis, right? Nothing against our St. Louis listeners here, so I'm not going to go that far. But Well, if they're listening type- to us, they're already Cubs fans, which means they're, they're not in that group of people. That's true. <laughs> you, know, you never know, though, how people feel about their home. But I, I will say this. Go to Google Images, type in St. Louis, see what pops up. Go to Chicago. Go to Google Images again, type in Chicago, and compare. And then tell me where you would like to live, and I'll just leave it at that. So Yeah, no, that, that wasn't a knock yeah. on, on St. Louis. It explicitly a knock on Cardinal fans. I, I do believe that Cardinal fans are, are a special breed of uh, human being. But I, I, it's, it's hard not to kind of find that quote a little funny. Um, Which are more unbearable for you, Dodger fans or Cardinal fans? Honestly. Well, I don't know if I can really answer that fairly because I've I never, I've never been to St. Louis. So... I I only know of the ones that come to Wrigley Field. Um, I I generally don't care for them, um, but at the very least, I I think. And this is a weird way for this conversation to end up, but you you you're kind of forcing my hand here. Uh, you know, most of the Cardinal fans that I would encounter at Wrigley Field if they were there to catch a game, they've more than likely, unless they're, what, like six years old, they've seen their team win a World Series or two. Uh, And so their (laughs) cockiness and their kind of, you know, hold it over the Cubs' heads at times, you know, throughout our lives, made a little more sense. When the Dodger fans do it, uh, who, you know, have not won a World Series this century, and most of the people you would run into probably were not alive for it, at least, you know, that you and I are going to interact with. Um, doesn't make as much sense. So yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I really don't like both of them. Is that a, is that a fair answer? That's a, that's a fair yeah. answer. I mean, I'm going to go as far to say that Dodger fans are the most despicable degenerate human beings that, I, that I, follow any major league uh, baseball sports franchise, but that's just me. Corey. I think we can very much, uh, <laughs> I think we can very much come to an agreement on that <laughs> though. At some point, you know, we'll have to get to Bush stadium and really, experience that for ourselves or we don't and we can just save ourselves uh what i'm sure is not a fun experience but no thanks yeah anyway that's where we are so uh yeah thanks to really you know brendan like thanks to the diamondbacks and marlins for just dumping these great players on the brewers and cardinals and not asking you know for the highest price in return i mean it's almost shocking you look back at some of these deals 
and think, was there really not a better deal on the table from anyone? Or if you had gone to these other teams and said, this is the package we're taking for Paul freaking Goldschmidt, nobody can come up with better than that. It's... Ugh, it's, yeah, and you go look at what the Cubs had to get a, get uh, give away for Jose Quintana. Right. It's like, are you joking right yeah, now? Yeah, How is it, this it's, actually It's happening? a little confusing. Yeah, but it, it and, well, and and you know you you see that return you know from the Cardinals' perspective, and you know obviously the Cubs are not really in this mix as they uh, have a very good first baseman themselves uh, named Anthony Rizzo. But mm-hmm. there's got to be a lot of teams in this league going. Wait a minute, we could have had Paul Goldschmidt for that for Luke yeah. Weaver. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's that's the most aggravating part too. But again, look, only a year of control, is. so we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, the I think the St. Louis executives were confident that he would, and I'm paraphrasing here, fall in love with the organization and the city uh, <laughs> while he was there. So they would hope to sign him to an extension. Uh, we'll see about that. But anyway, yeah. uh, let's let's delve into some of these rumors here. Uh, as it the relates. meat of the rumors of the week. Yeah. So to, to Sunday, when we're recording this, when Brendan and I are recording this, we got the, the both ends of the spectrum on Kyle Schwarber rumors. Bob Nightingale, who is the least trustworthy baseball reporter in the world, but he is the in main the baseball reporter for the USA Today. So unfortunately, he is impossible to ignore or just completely write off uh, from the baseball world because he's the main writer for one of the largest publications in the world. And he says that the Cubs are telling teams no go on Kyle Schwarber. We're, we're not going to give him up. Uh, we'll touch on that in a minute, but I... I think he maybe could have phrased that better because I I don't necessarily know that that's what's happening here. But then Mark Gonzalez of the Tribune? Yeah, the Tribune. Yeah. I'm sorry, to be honest with you, I, I'm kind of sorry to Mark for even thinking about that. He's The Tribune, the, Sun, the Sun-Times, potato, potato. Kind of. The Sun-Times is really the worst thing on earth, Brendan. I, I mean, I, I don't know that I would necessarily lump uh, Gonzo in with the, the Gordos of the world, but I, I guess you're right. It, yeah, it really, yeah, is, okay. <laughs> really is uh, <laughs> tomato, tomato there uh, to a degree. But he yeah. reporting today that he feels like Hap and Schwarber are the most likely to be moved. So depending on who you feel like believing, Kyle Schwarber is either definitely going or definitely staying. Now, my initial reaction to the Nightingale report, Brendan, was that if that was correct, what he probably meant was the Cubs had gotten some calls on Kyle Schwarber. People are grossly undervaluing him, which... it happens every day. It's basically a constant argument on Twitter. Uh, and the Cubs were like, no, like we're, we're not getting anywhere near the value that we need for Kyle Schwarber. So just stop giving us these calls unless you're going to up the ante here. Um, but I, I don't know. What's your read on this? It's weird to get two rumors on one player in particular in, in the same day, let alone the same off season, uh, that are literally on the, the complete opposite ends of the spectrum here. Well, if you want to backtrack too to what two months ago, where Thea said essentially they're they're going to consider all options, especially when teams come with a certain offer. So my interpretation of Nightingale is the the asking price is extremely high for Schwarber. 
Doesn't mean the Cubs wouldn't move him. It's just right now nothing's on the table that's going to actually prompt a discussion. So I, I still operate under the assumption if we're going to rank these guys most likely to be traded, a little bit different than guys who you may want to trade. And what I mean by that, like personally, if I if I could deal anyone from those three outfielders, like Hap, Almora, Schwarber, first one to go for me would be Almora, just because ceiling is is a little bit lower. The floor is a little bit higher, but the ceiling is lower. You kind of know what you get with Almora. You get you get minimal power, good defense, but perhaps a high batting average. Minimal right? power for Almora? Yeah, minimal is too strong a word, don't you think? <laughs> okay, so you're going to get whatever it looks Zero. semantics. Whatever. Zero power, zero, but that's fine. So I think that that's drawing my opinion is if I'm going to trade Schwarber or Hap, I'm going to have anxiety for years knowing what their potential could be, especially for Hap. He's only 20. He's going to be 24 uh, or he just turned 24, 24 years old, guys, 24. If you look at some of the Cubs top prospects who were just raided by Fangrass a few days ago, there's like five, six guys who are already 23, 24 on that list. So that that's that's where I'm at with it. I think Schwarber and Hap have a higher likelihood of being traded because they are better and they could bring back more value. Just right now, looking at the picture, I personally I cannot think of any target, any other player on a different team that makes sense for both for both sides. So I don't I don't know, Corey. How I'm making this, I just I have a hard time seeing any of these guys getting dealt. Just because it's hard to find immediate value back. It's different if you're trading them for prospects or whatever, but for immediate value, I just don't see it. Yeah, it would. It it really feels like the type of thing that you you it would have to be in conjunction with with other moves. And you know, not yeah. you know, is it necessarily someone like Bryce Harper? I don't know. But when you end the season the way the Cubs did and your your primary goal is to address what went wrong on offense unless you've got replacements for some of these guys you know and even Almora I didn't mean it to necessarily seem like I'm you know dogging Almora I just think he's but when you compare that well, yeah when you compare Almora he's to very clearly the, the least valuable player of Correct. those three I'd be more than happy to engage in a longer debate on that but I to me it's not close uh, especially when you know, we were looking at that and thinking, you know, okay, we tried the the Chili Davis method, trying to make more contact, using the whole field, et cetera. And, Did not and work. I and I think, you know, most of us have come to the conclusion that really what we want to see from this group is go back, hit some dingers, you know, let's slug, and not really worry about trying to craft everybody in, in a particular mold. Just let these guys be who they are and play to their strengths. And I and I think that in that vein, a a, a contact hitter with very, very little power uh, in Almora, you know, and, and someone who, who doesn't have speed like Hap and the versatility, I just think has the least value of those three. But I, I do want to point out, because I, I again, I, as I mentioned it, it constantly comes up because I think a lot of times when you read something like this, like people will read the Nightingale report and, and, and when they say, you know, the Cubs aren't going to move Schwarber, people think it's nuts. And I, and I just want to at least delve into this for just one second. It, it's no. Let's delve into this a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, it's I think really it's not nuts at all. And and I'm looking yeah. at the leaderboard on Fangraphs uh, for wins above replacement, which you know is not the be all end all stat, but it's at least a frame of reference for something like this. 
Kyle Schwarber was the 21st most valuable outfielder in the entire major leagues. Uh, some of the names uh, with you know fairly similar value to him. He was a 3.2 WAR player. Bryce Harper last year was a 3.5 win player, and Kyle did that in about 180 less at bats. Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers, uh, who I believe was the NLCS MVP this past year before the Dodgers lost their second consecutive World Series, mm-hmm. was a 3.6 win player. Ben Zobrist also a 3.6 win player. So. It's really not nuts that the Cubs are so high on on Schwarber, and I know that people do not. It's 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 hard for people to get past a two thirty eight batting average, but he had a three forty three woba, he a one fifteen wrc plus. This this guy was a, a a significantly above league average hitter, and I think he's made strides on defense and. You know, again, with, with someone like this, there's going to be a, a contingent that just sees what they want to see. They're always going to think of him as a bad fielder. They're always going to go back to that dropped fly ball in the National Series or some of those plays against the Mets in 2015. But this guy is in extremely better shape. He is a, a better fielder than people give him credit for. He's got a great arm that he knows how to use. He takes walks at a he walked at a fifteen point three percent clip last year. Like that's great. Yeah. And he can he's got, you know, at least thirty homer potential, depending on how many games he's getting in. Only played in one thirty seven, obviously, in you know, the platoon splits last year. But it it's really not crazy that the Cubs are so high on Kyle Schwarber. Now to the degree you could certainly debate. I mean, obviously, he should not be untouchable, as Theo talked earlier in the offseason, that nobody should be untouchable, uh, even though some people should, but that's, that's a separate issue. Chris Bryant should be, but separate issue. Uh, <laughs> if the right offer is there, they should not be dismissing that, you know, because they, they think the world of Kyle Schwarber. But this notion that he that they don't want to move him, you know, for say like a bullpen piece, it that's not crazy. This is a very valuable player who is still yeah. very young, and who, you know, again, I think you continue to make those adjustments. I, there, you do kind of see a lot of what Theo and company talked about when they first brought him on board and the comparisons that they made and and the vision that they had for him. So I, I think that that's worth pointing out every now and again, because you really do get this this contingent of, of people, I think mostly outside of the Cubs. I think that people who don't watch him closely or only see the 238 batting average uh, are very quick to just say, oh no, he stinks, he can't hit, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but this is a, a very good player. And, you know, you're, you're, you're reading a lot about, you know, the MLB kind of thinking about what to do with the shift as it's kind of, you know, the effect it's having on offense. If they did anything Brendan, to limit the shift. Kyle Schwarber might be the person in the league who benefits the most from, even if they just reined in the shift, not ban it outright or whatever they're talking about, but even just change it a little bit. You take that that uh, fourth outfielder, right, that shallow outfielder in right field away from Kyle Schwarber, I mean, he's got how many more hits every year, right? I don't think 100%. we'd really be talking about his batting average as much as we do. I mean, he rips the ball to to right field. You think back to some of the ones he, he got through in the World Series when he made that comeback. He just hits the ball really hard. And, and so I, 
I again, I'll, I'll let you go now, but it's it's really not crazy that that the Cubs and people in general are as high on Kyle Schwarber uh, as they are within reason, of course. So a few years ago, 2016, before the Cubs traded for Chapman, there was a rumor that the Cubs turned down Schwarber for Andrew Miller. Do you remember that? If not, that that was a thing. And I only bring that up now is because we're hearing like similar rumors or rather suggestions from fans who think, yeah, you trade Schwarber, you get back an elite reliever or two, could be worth it. Look what Andrew Miller is today. Nothing, he's still a great reliever, but nothing like the guy we saw in 2016. Same can be said about Aroldis Chapman as well. Guys who were the best of the best a few years ago, still good, not the best. Schwarber is 25 years old. He's still in pre-arbitration. I mean, guys, he's in pre-arbitration. He's a career 343 Wolba header in almost 1,300 plate appearances. Let me ask you a question, Corey. Do you think Schwarber's reached his peak? Honestly. No. Come on. That's it. If your floor, if your floor is an above average player, a guy who produces more runs than like 70% of the league, come on. What more do you want? Right. And there's the, the other argument too with Schwarber is he peaked defensively. Right? Like I, I keep hearing that too. So the value when he's 26, 27, 28 is going to be lower because he peaked defensively. I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that whatsoever. What's to suggest, given Schwarber's unique trajectory too, if I need to remind you, that he's going to decline next year defensively or in two years? If this is what he is, you know, by various metrics, he was pretty good last year. Um, you know, there's issues with these metrics, but I think the eye test even passes as him being at least average. Guys, Schwarber is a steal to have, especially given the Cubs' financial restrictions. Why would you want to trade that? So I think if you're looking at guys to trade, Schwarber's got to be on the lowest, the lowest of the yeah. list. You're looking at guys like, if you can, Hayward, but more obvious candidates are one Elmora, and even even Hab, you can make the argument where, yeah, you don't want to sell low because he kind of has the same ceiling as Schwarber, and I get that too. That's why, like, I don't know. We're, we're hearing Theo come back around, I think, a little bit more, saying that talent is there on the roster. I'm I'm tending to believe that. I just don't see this front office selling low on those two guys. I think Amora is different. I think clearing out payroll and trying to trade Hayward is different. Trying to trade Chatwood, bringing in other talent. But I don't see, like, Schwarber being traded for a starting pitcher. Yeah. That's not going to happen. It's also just tough to envision how that would all play out because again the the primary thing I think the bullpen will be a key area that the Cubs need to address uh which reminds me we need to touch on the Brandon Morrow situation yeah but it's hard to figure you know how if you moved Hap and Schwarber like you know that that Mark Gonzalez report suggests the, the the problem last year was the offense. We've heard all offseason in, in Theo's postmortem, offense, offense, offense. The offense was broken. The offense was broken. They fired their hitting coach. It, it, Too many it's ground all balls. we've heard about. Yeah. I, I, unless, again, unless you're bringing in Machado, Harper, or you know some combination of these other guys who 
you know, and, and, you know, there's names out there who I think would be good fits for the Cubs. Marwin Gonzalez is a name that stands out. But you got to pay him. You don't have to pay Ian Happ and Kyle Schwarber. Exactly. So it's just hard to envision without really knowing a, a full plan how you move offense to improve the offense, right? And and I think mm-hmm. that's where I kind of get confused as to how this would all play out. If I knew tomorrow the Cubs would have Bryce Harper— I think it's a different discussion, and I think you can kind of try to reconfigure where you're thinking on all this and what the value would be of moving one of these guys. But prior to doing that or knowing that that was going to happen, I'm just not sure how this team is better by trading some of your younger, high-potential offensive players. Um, and, you know, again, I'm looking at this list, Brendan, this this Fangraphs leaderboard list. I mean, Kyle Schwarber is ranked higher than, like, George Springer, Reese Hoskins, Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, he, like, I, I think that people very, very greatly underrate Kyle Schwarber. And again, that's not to mean that he's untouchable or I think he's, you know, one of the best players in the league, but... I, I do think it's a mistake to think that, you know, just ship him off, get whatever you can from him. I mean, I think that's crazy that you you kind of see that that take come out there because he's been a very valuable hitter to this team. And in again, an off season where the priority is offense, you better have a very clear answer from where that offense is going to come from if if you start moving these guys. Um, and can I, can I ask you a question off the top of, of your course. head here? Okay, so let's say you have a, a deal. Um, offer to the Cubs, and one is for Schwarber, and you get back like two elite relievers and, and a prospect. Then you have Ian Happ, and you get basically the same deal, maybe a little bit more in a prospect return or whatever, or basically the same deal either way. Do you trade Schwarber or do you trade Happ? Who, who are you? Who are you more willing to give up? That's a tough one. I, I mean, I think. What does your gut tell my, you? My gut says to, give to up answer, Ian yeah. Happ right now. Right and I, I guess I, I really only say that because I think he has more work and adjustments to do than Schwarber does to really, you know, continue playing that vital role in the offense. And I think just with where the Cubs are in this window, you know, and, and how soon we get to a Chris Bryant free agency or an Anthony Rizzo free agency, I, I, I think that Schwarber right now is closer to kind of hitting his ceiling and and really being uh, that player that that truly you know Theo and and Jed and uh, Jason envisioned when they when they drafted him. But that's that's tough. I mean, Ian Happ has uh, a lot of upside. I, I do wish he would stop playing so much golf. I you know every day. every day. I, I'm very concerned <laughs> about him like throwing his back out or, you know, again, just golf, for a guy that, coffee that elbow, whatever it's called <laughs> for a guy that's, that's gone through as much scrutiny as he has about his swing. It's very interesting to see him spend so much time perfecting another swing. It, but you know, I, I'm not one of those, you know, guys can't have fun in the off season guys, I'm, you know, just thinking out loud, but you know, obviously he's, you know, he's got a, a lot of talent and, you know, he has a lot of potential. He's an extremely fast uh, runner. I think, you know, obviously once Terrence Gore is added to the mix, it's not true anymore. But I think prior to that, he was the, the fastest, you know, straight 90 
feet yeah, runner and, uh, Javi were. on on the team. He's got that that homer potential. Uh, he's versatile. You know, he's he's still not not the best defender, but you know, constantly getting better. He's also you know, I think the youngest in this particular conversation. Um, mm-hmm. So the, you know, that's a tough one. And and again, I, I don't I, I don't I, again I don't really mean any of this. You know, not to just like toss Albert Almora aside. Um, you know, he was a, a big part of the team last year. He's been a big part of the team for the last few years. Um, and you know, but I, I, again, I just think right now when offense is the priority, I think uh, uh, you know, and a contact average guy with no power who you know still is not able to play against both hands of pitching with you know extreme success. I just think right now he presents the least value uh, to this group when trying to address. The, the current issues and the current problems. I think in a different year, in a different group, this current version of Almora is is a more valuable player. But for the the problems that this team has, I just think he's pretty easily the, the least valuable to me of these three. I, and I agree 100%. And I, you go back to even last year's offseason podcast, we had a similar discussion. And for me... It always comes back to the higher ceiling. And I know Theo said production, not talent, but realistically, you look at the production from these three guys, and at least for Happ and Omora, or rather Happ and Schwarber, not too different from a complete value standpoint. From Omora's standpoint, he doesn't have the talent nor the value to match Schwarber and Happ. So if you're comparing the three guys on those merits alone, it's a no-brainer. But when it comes down to what you're willing to get back when you trade someone like Schwarber and Hap might not be realistic right now. And that's the nature of why they were even left on this team for so long and they went into the year with all these mismatches going on. It's gonna be a crazy offseason. Yeah. I I I I don't I really do, Corey. I struggle trying to find ways they can trade these guys and make the team better. That's that's my issue here. Yeah. I don't think like I mean Theo's gonna figure it out, don't get me wrong, but personally I just I'm having a hard time figuring it out. When and I and I do think you know that's also not to say you know we we don't want to fall into you know kind of a they're they're not prospects anymore but a, a you know a, a young player hugging situation right we're not a, a verse. but they're still good though I mean yeah. Schwarber and Hap provided value right. it's just not the five wins you thought that you would get from each one right. of those guys it, it, and it, and it I think ultimately again comes down to. You know, what is the plan around this? Because obviously you can't just keep everybody and, you know, hope to add Bryce Harper or even someone like Marwin Gonzalez or some of these other names that are out there and just figure it out, you know, with a thousand options. You know, you may have to move on, but that's the thing is that I, as it stands right now, I, it's, it's hard to see how this team is made better by, by moving one of those two guys in particular, um, you know, and, and trying to find the offensive production somewhere else. Uh, you know, you'd really have to know what the the further plan was going to be, you know, before I would really be 100% comfortable doing that. Um, so that leaves us to, let's touch on Brandon Morrow, and then we can maybe kind of get a little bit of the lay of the land of what we know about the the Bryce Harper and and Manny Machado sweepstakes as they stand going into these winter meetings. Um, 
basically the the gist with Morrow was that after he had uh, the bone spur, they allowed the normal time for that to heal. And after that period, he still felt some pain. He underwent an operation, I believe, on November 6th uh, to clear out some stuff in his elbow, and he may not be ready for opening day. So (laughs) I I already, if you have been listening to this podcast uh, since its inception, I think you could probably write what Brendan's going to say in a second here, and you'd get pretty close. I know I could, you know, before I talked to him, but I had read the the news. Uh, I was pretty positive of what was going to be sent to my, to my, you know, tech screen. But to be honest with you, this whole situation reminds me of what Theo said about you, Darvish, when he was trying to come back uh, in the middle of the 2018 season. And Theo, at one point, pretty candidly was just like, we'd be kind of stupid if we relied on something that has not proven to be reliable at all. And that's basically where I am with Brandon Morrow. When he's on the mound, he's lights out. One of the best relievers in the league. Uh, He's got nasty stuff. When he first started in 2018 for the Cubs, I was thrilled at how much more just dominant and and nasty he just seemed than even Wade Davis the year before, uh, who I know I harped on here a lot. I felt like kind of got away with some stuff because his stuff is so good, but his location was just terrible. Morrow, beginning of last year, was just lights out, just blowing people away. Looked like guys had no chance. But you can't rely on him. He's had injury problems uh, basically his whole career. Uh, we know he was ridden really heavily for the Dodgers in that 2017 uh, runner-up run that they had in the first of their two consecutive World Series losses. And I, you know, I, I just think you you have to treat it as that. I think you're going to have to you were going to have to add to the bullpen anyway, and you may need to go out and find a new closer. And if the majority of Brandon Morrow's innings or all of his innings are coming, you know, later in the summer, in the middle of the summer, to the end of the summer, and hopefully the playoffs, I think that's fine. And that might just be what you have to plan for. But I, again, you know, going back to that, and he was speaking in reference to Darvish, but I think it applies now. You'd be stupid to go into another season thinking that Brandon Morrow is going to be your closer. And if you're confident in in someone like Pedro Strope taking on that role and just adding you know, more depth to the lower levels of the bullpen. I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but you you can't Mm. go into the season thinking that Brandon Morrow is going to be your closer and that issues like this are not going to keep presenting themselves because it's just sort of been the deal with this guy. And it, you know, it just is what it is. But again, I've given you a a bit of time to formulate what you think (laughs) Brendan is going to say. So, you know, you, if you, if you need to finish writing your down your guess, uh, you know, or whatever, you can, you can pause the podcast here, but I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to Brendan, uh, to give what is, uh, a a very predictable rant about this situation. Well, I'm not going to, you know, repeat what I texted you, because I I think even if people were to have read what I said there, they they would have thought I'm probably a little bit insane, but like they don't already, they, well, that's true. They, they, they might do, um, but honestly, guys, like this, this pisses me off. This pisses me. I'm not going to go on a tangent here, but man, like they really, like I, I understand what they were trying to do last year. They want to bring Marlon back, go right into a playoff run and force the issue. But gosh, it sucks that it didn't work out that way. And now, 
He's going to have to wait until after opening day to come back next season. That sucks. That really, really, really sucks. And I think you kind of nailed it right there. You can't rely on Morrow. Like, sorry, but you just can't rely on him. And same thing with Darvish right now as well, which is why Hamels was brought back for $20 million. Um, Yeah, man, th- this is a huge blow. It really is. I think, if anything, it kind of forces your hand to go out and get not one, but maybe two relievers. And I think that's because, one, Strobe, yes, he's been good for the past, you know, forever with the Cubs, right? But even Strobe is getting older, and I think if you're going to rely on Strobe to be the lockdown closer, I don't I, I don't know. It's not against Strobe or anything. He's one of the greatest relievers in Cubs history, but he's had his injury concerns in years past. He's aging. Well, hopefully he's not forced to hit and run the bases anymore, <laughs> but we'll see. You never, they, you never know. He's played, he played left field in Cincinnati in 2016 as well. He's a, he's a multi-positional talent. Uh, but but re- realistically, like you just you can't rely on these on this current bullpen, and the idea that you can just accumulate so many arms, like get Steve Cizek and you get Brian Dunsing back, and you bring in Brandon Morrow. I I liked that idea. Don't get me wrong, but it kind of backfired in a way. For example, Steve Cizek was not good in September. Believe it or not, he was not good. Uh, Morrow out for the entire second half. Strope, yes, it was a base running injury, but nevertheless, it was another injury that Strope had to deal with. And I, I, I don't know. I just don't see them going in with more guys like CJ Edwards, who has command issues. Dylan Mables did not progress last season. They're going to have to go out and get more external help that way. You have Adam Ottenevo on the market, Andrew Miller. Zach Britton. So it's, I guess it's possible, but you're going to have to pay more money for it. And I don't know if that's the right way to go about this, but I don't really see them going into next season with the same group of relievers, just because of the inconsistency in the injury history. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be an interesting situation. I I think as it stands, I, I don't, I don't really think that their bullpen is in that bad of shape. Well, I'm not saying it no, is. I, no, I'm I saying, know that. I'm just speaking generally. Yeah. So, you know, I know that that's been a, a topic of, you know, where they may be spending their money. But, you know, for me, if we are working on a limited budget here, you know, and this is a good segue into the, you know, maybe the last topic here for this episode, I I, I would rather they be spending that money on Bryce Harper and figuring out a way to shed payroll elsewhere than, you know, adding a couple of, you know, like a Zach Britton type or Andrew Miller type, you know, expensive guys to this bullpen. You can, as the Cubs have done before, you can deal with this later. And is it necessary? I, I will I will say, though, sorry to jump sure. in. I will say the Cubs have dealt with this problem in years past by taking from their young prospect yes, system. Which you don't want to do. And getting back. They, and don't, they don't have, have that anymore. anymore. Yeah. So I, I don't know if they yeah. can do that anymore. Like, realistically, I really don't know if they can do that anymore. I guess I just mean if if push came to shove and we've got money to spend on one area, I don't really know that I want it to be on high-priced relievers. I, <laughs> no, I guess I mean, that's, with that's kind of the point. Um, and maybe which, that goes back to the, the previous topic, and maybe I would prefer they sign someone like Bryce Harper and then move one of those younger players. But I, I don't know. Again, it, it, without <laughs> seeing the whole roadmap, it's, it's, it's hard to exactly figure it out. But I, yeah. I, I'm going to pose this question to you first, and it, it relates to one of our earlier topics, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get to where the rumors are with, with Harper and Machado. But uh, since they're the big names, they're the big horses, and the Cubs are you know, kind of like 
loosely, maybe secretly, I guess, connected to to Harper in particular. I, we really have not heard much on them as far as it relates to Machado. Uh, but do you think, and you know, we'll, we'll see if the Brewers have anything to to say about all of this, but do you think that a move, because this is something you see a lot, and, and I think people wonder out loud, do you think that the Goldschmidt move changes anything that the Cubs are doing or thinking about this offseason? Because, I, you know, I think that's one of the main takeaways from a lot of people when a move like that happens is, oh, well, now the Cubs, you know, have to have to match it or, or you know, what's the equalizing move? Do, do you think that, that that's that type of move? Or do you think that the Cubs are kind of like, you know, put your blinders on, deal with what's, you know, wrong in your own house and, you know, don't really focus too much on that? Well, it changes the projections a little bit, right? Like the Cubs have a system whereby they look at everyone in the NL Central and they figure out the likelihood of them succeeding. So I do think it does change things. Now, the way the Cubs go about getting those players to ultimately provide, you know, a higher likelihood of success probably doesn't change. Like you don't see the Cubs immediately going out and and matching that deal. So I... I'm not on one side of being extreme where like, yeah, you have to match it. And the other side of being like, oh, no, they're not going to even consider that. I'm somewhere in the middle. I think you kind of have to consider the effect that, hey, the Cardinals are going to be for real. And them adding a six-win player is a significant addition. And it does counter the Cubs a little bit. So I don't think you can completely ignore that. But I don't think the Cubs in response are going to do anything out of the norm to match that. Does, does that make sense? Maybe like something. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe, maybe something they consider that's different per se, but I don't see the Cubs going out and trading Schwarber or Amora to match that immediately. I just don't see that happening. The Cubs have never operated under that assumption. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I, I, I think, you know, the, the Manny Machado market seems to be a little more confusing. The, the Phillies, perhaps seem to be one of the most important players in this entire offseason. They're linked to both of them. Um, and as we've talked about before, they're, they're, I think it was their general manager or their president, I don't exactly remember, uh, is on record saying, we're going to spend money this offseason and, quote, we might even be a little stupid about it. That's a, a real yeah. quote. So they seem to be a, a real mover and shaker in in a situation like this because they are a, a really interesting mix of seemingly everything, right? They are a, a big market, you know, a, a destination where someone like Machado or Harper can, can still be a star in Major League Baseball. You do not necessarily get that Mike Trout treatment in Anaheim where, you know, kind of not as many people know about them or, or kind of feel the light from their star, if you will, uh, as they should. They are young. They're, you know, they were already pretty competitive last year. They, they've got a big talent base and they have a ton of money that, again, they are openly ready to get rid of. So they're kind of the team to watch here because if Either of these guys are just interested in that check and and the the biggest total. The ball seems to be pretty heavily in the the Phillies' court because they just have that the the best mix of all of those things. Where you know someone like Bryce Harper would not have to concede being 
on a competing team for a year or two just to sign there, which is the case with some of these other teams you hear in the mix. Um, the Yankees are kind of, sounds like they may be out on both, but then, you know, the next day you hear they're in. The Dodgers are in a similar boat. Obviously, they just had Manny Machado, so they're a little more familiar there. I imagine they've probably already had some discussions with him dating back to last year. Uh, the Mets are a name you hear as they're trying to spend money. They made some moves already. They're, they're you know, they're kind of uh, trying to go for it, I guess, with this group right now rather than, you know, going for the full-scale rebuild and Another name that you are hearing an awful lot of uh, is the, uh, again, I've I've looked at this before, Ben, and I'm I'm really not sure how you and I keep missing this, but apparently there is another baseball team in the city of Chicago, uh, the White Sox, (laughs) and they are Hmm. interested in both. Now, I brought up the Phillies as, at least in my opinion, the, the kind of big team here to watch, because with the White Sox, you do have to consider that that team may not be competitive for at least a a year or two. Obviously, it depends how much money they spend and what moves they're able to make. Uh, But for sure, probably not next year. And so if you are Harper or Machado, depending on the length of your contract, you're, you're probably not stepping into an immediate chance to win a World Series, which when you're looking at teams like the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Phillies or, you know, to the degree that the Cubs may be involved, we're not positive yet. You know, those are teams where you'd be getting in there right away and you'd have a chance to win a World Series. So is that a factor? We don't know. But they're also a team like the Phillies who the White Sox have basically not infinite. They're playing with the same luxury tax penalties as everybody else, but their payroll is nothing. So if they want to sign... Bryce Harper to some absurd contract, they can definitely do it. So if money is the only thing that matters here, the White Sox are a real threat for either of these guys. Um, how both of them feel about, you know, being on the little brother of the city of Chicago, you know, in a team that even not in a joking manner, uh, as I'm putting on this bit here, ES, you know, there there is a thing like ESPN continually leaves the White Sox off of like lists of recent Chicago championships and, and notable uh, Chicago events and stuff like that. They, they almost always forget to include the 2005 White Sox. Um, so, you know, does that matter to those guys? I don't know. Uh, but so the Manny Machado market seems a, a, a little less clear. Uh, But we did hear, as it relates to Harper from Tim Kirchin, as these winter meetings were starting up, that his top three for where he thought Bryce Harper would go in order are the Philadelphia Phillies, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Chicago White Sox. And as far as Kirchin was concerned, that's basically the three horses in this race. And I... Before getting your thoughts, Brendan, I, I wanted to read this this blurb from MLB Trade Rumors where it describes this process. Because I think sometimes, you know, we, 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 we hear about all this, we hear about these discussions, and maybe don't really know exactly how this goes down. Um, but a, a good blurb uh, from Bob Nightingale, again, why I said you can't really ignore him because he gets a lot wrong. He makes a ton of spelling errors uh, in his tweets and articles. But he works for USA Today, so he is connected. And on MLBTR, 
he, he goes through what this process is like, and he says that front office representatives uh, from various clubs have already met with Harper in a Vegas hotel room, uh, presumably not at the Mandalay Bay, so that everybody doesn't see that. Uh, and basically, he, here's how this, this process is going, at least according to uh, Nightingale, and I'm assuming he's getting a lot of this from Boris, but you know who knows. Uh, he says, front office representatives from various clubs meet with Harper, his wife Kayla, and Boris to discuss all aspects of a potential signing, first in the form of a lengthy presentation from the team, and then rounds of questions from the Harpers about everything from baseball-related matters to how a club accommodates a player's family. The meeting have the meetings have ranged from five to ten hours in length, with Boris providing business-related details and one of his famous notebooks of statistics and personal information outlining his clients' strong points. In Harper's case, the notebook is 118 pages long. I double-checked that twice before I I just read it. (laughs) Comparing him to all-time greats in both baseball and other sports. In parentheses, it says, i.e. LeBron James. I don't know if that's Nightingale's words or Boris's, but probably Boris's. Probably Boris's. While also focusing on how on how acquiring Harper can improve a franchise's overall value. Boris then says, quote, every GM in baseball wants him because he fills a need, but the owners are pursuing Bryce Harper because they know he can also make them a billion dollars over a period of years, end quote. So, Brendan, a lot lot to digest here. And again, the Cubs, we, we really have no idea what is going on on the corner of Addison and Clark as it relates to any of this. We have heard, obviously, a ton, and it's been talked about relentlessly, that they may not have the budget, everybody thinks they will, that they're not going to go over certain luxury tax penalties, but we do not have any direct confirmation of that. And really, any time it comes up with the Cubs beat reporters, Theo kind of redirects it to a, it's not a no, but we'd have to be creative with how we did it, and we might have to move things around to make something happen. So I don't know. I, I don't know what your read on that is in general, but the, the one thing I will say before turning it over to you is that as we have seen with guys like you, Darvish, as we saw with someone like Jason Hayward, Ben Zobrist, amongst others, the fact that Bryce's wife, Kayla, is involved in this process and that at least a portion of the interviews focuses on how the family would be treated, what the accommodations would be, et cetera. I think we saw this a lot with uh, Tyler Chatwood as well. Was he, am I, am I misremembering? One, one no, of the, Chatwood is right, yeah. One of the free agents the Cubs signed, their their wife was, I think, pregnant at the time. And the Cubs it was did, Chatwood. It was yeah, Chatwood. okay, it was Chatwood. Who, they, the Cubs yeah. did a really... I remember, I think Chatwood speaking on this, that he was kind of blown away that the Cubs had, you know, come to them with this this huge plan for how they were going to accommodate that and, and make that whole pregnancy process as they were transitioning to a new home uh, a comfortable one. And so if if it's not just part of the process for show and it's, you know, this all isn't just going to be about money and who signs the biggest check and for the longest years – the fact that there is a family element to this and a personal element to this is a strong point for the Cubs. They have nailed this with some of these other guys before. We've seen a number of players take discounts to play there. And again, like with Chatwood, we've heard a number of these players talk about how well the Cubs did in helping them acclimate their family and take care of that off the field stuff. So that at least reads as a good thing. But 
when you're talking about a 10-hour meeting and, and binders that range uh, close to 120 pages, it seems pretty impossible to figure out exactly what's going on here. Yeah, the Cubs have had three advantage working uh, for them for the past few signings. First advantage, one, is their willingness to give option years. So if you look at Darvish's contract, he has option years after two years. With Hayward, it was after three years. It, I mean, based on the trajectory, both those guys probably will stay with the Cubs, but they could have left if they wanted to. And the final option, or the final advantage, one, is the ability and in in just the whole portfolio of their ability to accommodate family life. And I think there's no better advertiser for that than Chris Bryant. And I think the Cubs have treated him uh, well. Uh, they gave Chris Bryant the biggest pre-arbitration salary raise in history, if I remember correctly. So I, I do think the Cubs have a lot of, of good things working for them. And I feel as if it's possible that the Cubs would be the one team willing to work in more option years, give a higher annual average value, and move around some other pieces to accommodate that. Dan Plesek, for example, went on... I think it was a score and he predicted Nick yeah Bryce Harper to the Cubs and I think exactly the numbers he put on the contract were like four years 160 million dollars mm-hmm. which a lot of money but like you can see ways that the Cubs could get really creative now I will say there's also the argument that if you look at other teams like Harper's going to make at the minimum probably 320 million right and for him to turn down 320 guaranteed, like, I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money. I personally would take the money. So it, it will be interesting. I still hold the belief that, the one, the Cubs will be talking to Harper the entire time. But ultimately, they're at a disadvantage compared to other teams and their financial flexibility. And that even includes the Dodgers and includes the Yankees, despite reports suggesting they would not be in it. They have more flexibility than the Cubs for 2019. So that's that's where I am. Ultimately, again, I think it's encouraging that they're still in the talks, but that's not surprising to me. And I still won't consider them kind of the top dog until we hear more reports and the corresponding moves the Cubs will make to get someone like Bryce Harper in their payroll. Yeah, I, I I think I'm with you there. I I think that uh, again, it, without without knowing what the priority is for guys like this, it's it's tough to know exactly how to kind of handicap all of this. Because again, if it's going to come down to years and money, it's not going to be the Cubs. And you know, again, it, it's it's certainly possible that some of this payroll stuff was a misdirection and and, and stuff like that. And then you know, the Cubs just kind of. Uh, putting out some PR to kind of change narratives and and you know work in their their favor whatever, um, but even if that were the case to a degree, they are not they just simply don't have the ability to outspend a team like the Phillies or the White Sox. Literally, they do right. I mean, the, the <laughs> yeah. Ricketts have an awful lot of money, but in a realistic sense, if it's coming down to dollars, cents, and years. It's not going to be the Cubs. But if there is any room in the Boris Harper camp here 
for, again, the, the creativity that Theo's talking about, some flexibility, like you said, Brendan, working in more of those option years. Would he want a shorter contract and then try to sign another contract while he's still, you know, sort of in that prime-ish territory, you know, pri- around 29, 30? I don't know. Like, I'm with you. I would be surprised if that was the thing. I would just take the 10-year, you know, $350 million contract, whatever it's going to be. Um, but, you know, I get excited if I find $5 in my jeans. So I, <laughs> what do I really know about, you know, when we're talking about money like this? I So at the very least, you know, in reading that, it, it it sounds like the Cubs at least are having these conversations. We know that Bryce has a soft spot uh, to some degree for the Chicago Cubs. We know, I'm sure, he'd like to play with Chris Bryant. And, you know, his wife, Kayla, being involved, you do see all the time. You know, they, they hang out with Chris and his wife, Jess, in Las Vegas. They seem to be very good friends. Um, you know, maybe that plays a role. And, and you know, maybe that allows Theo to kind of get in there and and see what he can do to get this done. Um, But it's hard to get a read on. Uh, But at the very least, you know, I think as it was with the Shohei Otani situation, though different to a degree, as long as somebody is willing to listen to Theo Epstein, give his pitch, I'll take it. You know, Uh, maybe the Cubs are playing at a disadvantage due to, to financial stuff, and that's not great. But if you can get Theo in a room with someone who is at least willing to listen to him and consider what he is saying, you know, that's a better place than a vast majority of teams in this league, uh, as long as money isn't explicitly the only thing that matters. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. But I I, I think that's... uh, that's all we have for you here. Uh, this was this actually ended up being a, a pretty substantive show, you know, for really still not that much going on in the baseball world. But again, uh, you're listening to this on Monday morning. We've got uh, a few days of the winter meetings here, so if uh, something goes down that that is you know big time news, uh, you'll probably hear from us midweek. Um, absent of that, you know, we'll probably stick to the, the, the Monday morning schedule, but especially as we, uh, you know, are now in literally the winter meetings and getting deeper into this off season, very possible that, you know, you start hearing from us, uh, two times a week again, because it, you know, it, it this is around the time where hopefully things start ratcheting up, uh, and we don't get a repeat of last year where, you know, we're, uh, few weeks from spring training, still trying to figure out where some of these top free agents are going to go. So as always, you can uh, follow Brendan on Twitter at Cubs Related, me on Twitter at CF Cubs Related, uh, or the Cubs Insider handle at Real Cubs Insider. We'll have updates somewhere if need be. Obviously, you can subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcast medium that you uh, prefer, uh, iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Spreaker, any of those. And if we do publish a new episode uh, that is not necessarily on uh, any schedule, you'll be notified of that. Uh, or you can reach out to us and we can let you know what we are thinking when we are thinking of it. Uh, but other than that, as always, we thank you guys for listening, for your comments, for your feedback, uh, and those uh, iTunes ratings and reviews. We very much appreciate that, and uh, it is not lost on us that you guys take the time to do that for us. Uh, so we will jump on if something happens, uh, but otherwise, 
enjoy the winter meetings. I, I basically turn on the MLB network all day uh, and only turn it off when Chris uh, Russo, the mad dog, comes on because that is unbearable garbage. But otherwise, I love this time of year. I love hearing the rumors. I love, uh, you know, kind of seeing these interviews with guys. And hopefully we have uh, some Cubs-related stuff to talk about. Uh, But until then, again, we thank you guys for listening. And whether uh, we are at the winter meetings or the Cubs are playing tomorrow, go Cubs.